on today's show, we're now one month into the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. What have we learned and where are we headed? Kanye West's behavior since his breakup with Kim Kardashian is textbook. It shows all the warning signs of abuse. And we'll speak with a researcher who's map out the reach of invasive wild pigs in Alberta. So it's now been a month and a day since Russia invaded Ukraine again or continued or however you want to put it. But um, the action started on February the 24th. And uh, I think for most analysts and most observers, what's happened since has been quite surprising and unexpected. And I think if you're a Russian um, military general or Vladimir Putin, it's extremely surprising, frustrating and somewhat embarrassing. That's the take I'm getting. Anyway, we're going to chat with David Perry now, who's president of the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and host of the podcast Defense Deconstructed. David, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us. Hey, great to talk to you. So a month in um, to this, and I think for most people, uh, do I have it right? That It's fairly surprising the way that this has gone. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, it's surprising in a, in a number of different ways. Um, one of them is the way that the Russians initially conducted this, which I think has, has led to uh, a bunch of the surprise about their relatively uh, low ability to achieve what looked to be their, their initial aims, which were uh, to take over the country, overthrow the Zelensky regime, install a puppet. Um, at the same time, there's also, I think, been some pleasant surprise about how well the Ukrainian side has performed. Um, I think we do need to be cautious, though, that I think even still about a month in, we're really only seeing um, clearly, I think, one side of this conflict. The Ukrainians have done a pretty masterful job uh, at a very successful information campaign. So I don't think we know nearly as much about what's happened to the Ukrainian army, as an example. Uh, and we certainly have seen lots made of all the Russians' problems. Um, but set against that, the, uh, the, it's important to keep in mind the Russians have taken a lot of territory, uh, and they look to be on the verge of consolidating a lot of what they've taken across uh, southern Ukraine into the eastern part of the country. Um, so despite the difficulties around the capital uh, and despite the problems their Air Force has had and, and a lot of other difficulties, uh, Ukraine has already given up quite significant parts of its country. Um so when we hear reports of it, it's stalled, it's turned into a stalemate, it's a quagmire, it's not gone the way that Russia wanted. Uh, in some areas that might be true, but in other areas they've certainly managed to accomplish their goals? Yeah, I think that's fair. So yeah. the Russians have basically moved into the country in, in three different uh, lines of effort. Uh, one in the south, up from Crimea, in the east, west, through the, the Donbass region, where they uh, had already um, partially held controlled territory with affiliated groups. Uh, and then the other effort, uh, and the one that's particularly been stalled, is the one towards the capital in the north of the country around Kiev. Um, where do you anticipate this going? We know that there's lots of pressure from within Ukraine to have more of a NATO presence or provide more weaponry at the very least. Um, how do you anticipate this playing out over the next coming weeks? So I think, given what we've seen thus far, um, the Ukrainians are not going to be short on firepower. Um, yep. A whole range of countries, including our own, have provided them with uh, a pretty breathtaking amount of military assistance. Talking tens of thousands of pieces of uh, individual soldier portable uh, anti-air defenses or anti-tank, anti-armor defenses. Um, it, I think it's difficult to quite get your head around exactly how much uh, weaponry they've been provided and how fast. Um, so they're, they're well-armed, even though they, they have additional asks uh, and keep asking for more. Um, what looks like it's going to happen, though, uh, is along the south, uh, 
the the Russians are about to complete uh, the takeover of Mariupol, which mm-hmm. is one of the biggest remaining uh, pieces of territory between Crimea and eastern Ukraine. If they do that, they'll have consolidated basically uh, an ability to, to drive, uh, for lack of a better explanation, from Crimea into Russia and, and reconnect that with Russian territory, which is pretty um, militarily significant from Russia's point of view. I think, unfortunately, though, what we can expect to keep happening is that, so given all the firepower that uh, Ukraine is amassing, they're going to continue to be able to frustrate uh, further Russian advance. doesn't mean that it won't be able to happen, but it'll be tougher given that weaponry. Uh, So I think we can expect, unfortunately, to see the the Russians to continue to just pummel major cities um, and civilian population centers um, into submission, or at least into an attempt at getting them to submit. So how does it end? What, I mean, that, that ultimately Ukraine must submit or, or be, like you say, pummeled to the point they can't resist any longer? I mean, what, how does this end? Hopefully it ends sooner rather than later with some kind of negotiated uh, settlement, if you're taking it from the approach of, of minimizing the loss of human life. Um, I, I think one thing that I don't know that we really know whether or not this has absolutely been viewed to be a failure, if you're Vladimir Putin, and, and I think ultimately... He's the one who matters here, Mm -hmm. Uh, not the wider Russian public or some of his generals. Uh, And I think we do have to be mindful that Russia has demonstrated a totally different willingness to endure suffering, uh, to endure the loss of significant human life when they engage in warfare compared to the the West, even in in recent uh, years. So uh, the Russians have been willing to lose people in the conflicts in Chechnya, uh, up into the multiple thousands, depending on how you you know whose numbers you trust. So they've, there's been a lot of attention p- focused on exactly how many casualties the Russians have endured thus far. And I think from a Western, Canadian, or American or British perspective, it's an incredibly large number. I, I don't know that the Russians look at things the same way because I think fundamentally they've proven to be far more tolerant of of losing people. Uh, to pursue conflict aims that the, their leadership has, has set. So I don't know that we really know that the Russians are anywhere close to the point where they really think they need to bring this to a close. You know, I, I guess we shouldn't look for good news when we're talking about war, David, but really no good news as you sort of break down what's happening in Ukraine. No, I think it's gone better than a lot of people expected from Ukraine, uh, but anyway, you slice it, still terrible. Yeah, absolutely, no doubt. Uh, David, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate you joining us today. Great to talk to you. That is David Perry, who is president of the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and host of the podcast, Defense Deconstructed. David only had uh, 10 minutes that he could give us this morning, so we appreciate him jumping in and uh, giving us the latest on the situation there as he sees it. I mean, I don't know where we go um, based on this in terms of, you know, what's next and, and, and how this ends. I think that's the question a lot of people have. And I don't know if there's there's any answers. Um, Global Jeff... Sample is in Lviv, Ukraine, uh, just talking about, you know, um, what he's seeing there. And uh, that's it's pretty far uh, west in Ukraine, about as far west as you can go. Um, but, you know, as grim as this is, he reports that it's warming up. Spring is arriving, which means the ground is thawing. The warmer weather has now thawed the ground enough for survivors to begin burying the dead, including this woman's stepfather. He'd been injured, and another man offered to drive him to hospital, but then the car was attacked and blown up, she says. The UN says four weeks of war have killed nearly a 1,000 civilians, including around 100 children. 
along with an unknown number of Ukrainian soldiers. You know, but as Jeff says, the people of Ukraine are just amazing. And I think we've all seen that over the course of the past month, right? Just uh, the resolve. It's remarkable. And they say, you know, we, we're not asking for much from the West. Just give us what we need and, and we'll handle this. We will prevail. The Ukrainian military is pushing back, retaking territory near the capital, Kiev, thanks in part to weapons from the West. But Ukraine says that firepower is running out. The West should be delivering more. If they don't want to take part in the war, then for God's sakes, give us the weapons, give us the tools, and we'll do the rest. That growing optimism is palpable in Lviv, near the Polish border, which has so far been mostly spared the scars of war. Few had expected Ukraine could withstand a Russian invasion, but after a month, it's not only standing, but standing tall. Jeff Semple, Global News, Lviv. We don't do a lot of pop pop culture here on the show. And, um, you know, that wasn't a conscious decision. I mean, I like pop culture as much as the next guy. And, um, but sometimes a pop culture story, what starts as a pop culture story turns into something bigger and more important. So, uh, that's where we find ourselves now. If you have any passing knowledge at all about Kanye West, Kim Kardashian and Pete Davidson, you know, what's going on. This has turned into, well, I mean, it's sad all the way around. It really, really is. Um, and I don't want to try and diminish any aspect of it, but I think what we're witnessing when it comes to Kanye West is some severe mental health issues being played out through social media. Um, and uh, that's not to excuse his behavior because his behavior is absolutely horrid. Uh, he, basically what happened is he used to be married to Kim Kardashian. They have kids together. They live together, the whole thing. They split up. She's now taken up with Pete Davidson, you know, the kid from um, Saturday Night Live. Um, and uh, Kanye has been just absolutely relentless through social media, uh, through music he's released, music videos, threatening Pete Davidson, um, out and out harassing and, um, you know, stalking, abusing, whatever you want to call it, Kim Kardashian. And, and, and that's the issue here is we're seeing something that happens all too often in so many different ways being played out. Um, it gives us an opportunity to talk about this and uh, and say, you know, this is something that, you know, this shouldn't be surprising, unfortunately, and we need to address it. So to help us with that, we're going to chat with Katie Gillis, who's a psychotherapist with a focus on the triggering effects of Kanye's behavior on survivors of domestic abuse. And uh, Katie, appreciate you joining us today. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. When we talk about this, you know, uh, let's just talk about Kanye's behavior, what we're seeing, what he's been doing on social media primarily since this whole incident happened. And and it's going back a few months now. It's textbook, right? I mean, this is, you've seen this before in cases where it's not Kanye West. This is exactly how it happens. Yeah, this is following a pattern. And what happens is that the pattern continues to escalate and oftentimes it goes unchecked and unstopped. And that's why it continues to escalate. And that's exactly what we're seeing right now. Um, let's just talk a bit about what he's doing, some of the behavior and what you see in it that makes you go, yeah, this is, this is exactly how it plays out. Just uh, give us some examples of what he's done and, and how that is very typical of a domestic abuse situation. So the first thing 
that really stood out to me was when he was posting conversations with her and including the conversation where she was begging him to stop. Yeah. She was saying, your behavior is scaring me. Please stop. And then not only did he not stop, but then he would post that screenshot of that exact conversation almost, you know, in an attempt to, you know, I don't know if it's to brag or if it's just to say, I'm going to do this anyway, but it's definitely a control tactic of like, I don't care how you feel about this, but I'm going to continue doing what I want to do to keep that control and to keep you in your place. What about the the constant threatening of Pete Davidson? I mean, I, I think we understand that. We don't understand mm-hmm. it, but I mean, that, you know, I, that just seems to be pure jealousy. But that, too, is another example of classic yes. domestic abuse. Yes. Yes, that is, that is classic. That is when you're trying to sabotage the new relationship, when you're posting about the new relationship. A lot of times you'll see people post pictures of the new relationship and the new partner. Um, sometimes they go as far as to contact the person. And it is all an attempt to bring that back that control and to pay back. You know, it, it's really it's about payback to the person. Like, how dare you leave me? You know, I'm, I'm going to make sure that your next relationship doesn't work out. I'm going to ruin this for you. And it, a lot of times it leaves the other person in fear as well. And so then this other person is being abused also. You know, this new partner is being abused and they're a victim of abuse because they're a victim of threats and retaliation as well. And again, Kim Kardashian has asked him and he's released the screen mm-hmm. draft saying, saying, please yes. stop sending people after Pete. He, and, and he says, yeah, I yeah. did. But I mean, he doesn't. He just continues with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's absolutely a, you know, I, a, you're not going to tell me what to yeah. do. I'm going to do this anyway. I don't care about how you feel about this. This is about me. This is about my control. That That is classic. Yeah, it's following a pattern. Now, if it's classic, it's following a pattern, and it's textbook, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to yeah. ask because I think I know the answer, but where does it lead? A lot of times, unfortunately... You know, for the people who I see, I don't see many people with the kind of wealth of Kim Kardashian. You know, I I don't really see many celebrities. Um, And so, unfortunately, what ends up happening is is it does escalate into physical violence. You'll start to see the next stage are things like vandalism, um, you know, threats over, you know, living beings and things like that that are carried out, things like assault. And... um, Unfortunately, it does often go unchecked because the the average person is unable to afford, you know, bodyguards and um, cameras in their house that are high tech or big fences or things like that to protect them. What about law enforcement? If we know this kind of behavior, uh, and and it's clearly harassment, it's clearly stalking Mm -hmm. or whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. does law enforcement not recognize this as, if not a crime on its own, an indication that we could be headed down a dangerous path? So unfortunately, and the thing is, I work very closely with law enforcement with the work that I do. And so I see the side of them that isn't often seen, you know, when they respond to things like that. Um, There are many officers that will say to me, look, I don't know what to do because they're operating in that gray area. You know, yes, it's harassment. And yes, it's stalking, but until he walks up to her front door, for example, or until he follows her and is and it turns physical, unfortunately, there's not much they can do until it turns physical. Usually when the assaults happen or when the vandalism happens or, or whatever it is that ends up happening, that's when law enforcement usually can step in because there's a physical element to it. Um, unfortunately, although most protection orders 
you know, we'll list things like stalking and harassment. Unfortunately, it's so subjective that they're oftentimes they cannot follow up on it because they'll say things like, look, it's social media. We don't know what to do on social media. Um, you know, freedom of speech comes in a lot. And they'll just say to the victim, just delete your social media. Just ignore it. That's usually the advice that's given. Yeah, exactly. Now, for yeah. for people who've been through this experience on their own, unfortunately, this is in the headlines. This is all over the, mm-hmm. the entertainment mm-hmm. shows. What kind of an impact does that have on people who've lived this in real life? And it's not just a pop culture story to them. So it's very triggering for victims of domestic violence, and especially victims of post-separation abuse, which is what this is. Um, This is very triggering because they're watching it unfold and they're saying, oh, no, the next thing is blank. You know, the next thing is that physical element. And they're watching it and they're saying, oh, I remember when I was going through this and I, the courts and the police were powerless to protect me. And I remember the fear that I went through and you know, calling the police and begging for help and them saying, we can't do anything about posts on Facebook. We can't do anything about posts on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. Um, And the fear of who do I turn to? Where do I go? You know, and the lack of advice of law enforcement, which, and this isn't, you know, against them. I mean, they're, they're not mental health professionals. A lot of this is stuff that they are, their hands are tied to. And so they're kind of helpless, you know, and powerless to stop it. And then this, the, the victims and the target end up being like, well, where do I turn now? And you see people just kind of isolate in their homes, but that it's, it's not, doesn't, that doesn't stop it. You know, I mean, you're still have access to the internet and things like mm-hmm. that. What is your advice if yeah, somebody I'm, is out there right now feeling like this is bringing up a lot of unwelcome feelings for them? So my advice is to people is, is to get support. You know, there are many support groups online. There are many support groups on Facebook, even Instagram. Um, right now, social media and, and virtual support really is where we are in our community and our society right now. And so I tell people to get online and talk to people, even if it's just like looking at memes of people who've been through it. Because a lot of times you'll see a quote and you'll be like, wow, I thought I was the only one who felt that. Mm-hmm. I thought I was the only one who experience that and so please reach out you know call call a friend get get a therapist or get a you know a mental health coach or someone who who can really help you it it doesn't necessarily have to be a therapist but someone who gets it someone who really understands like the dynamics and the elements of this kind of abuse because this can make all the difference of whether or not it re-triggers you you know in a bad way versus something that can empower you to continue to move forward great advice um Katie, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you joining us. Yes, thank you so much for talking about this topic. Thank yeah, you. You bet. Thank you. Uh, that is Katie Gillis, who is a psychotherapist with a focus on the effects of Kanye's behavior on survivors of domestic abuse. Right now, though, we're going to talk about a situation, and, you know, it sounds crazy, but, I mean, this is really a, a, a big problem. It's wild pigs. That's what we're talking about. They are spreading like crazy across the prairies. And there's already a bunch of them in Alberta. I mean, these things have razor sharp tusks. You got a pet, they'll kill it. Ecosystem, they'll wreck it. Golf course, tear it up. I mean, you name it. They are incredibly destructive, dangerous animals, and they multiply like crazy. So they're in Alberta. Edmonton being warned, they're going to be in your river valley soon. You better come up with a plan. Um, And 
a lot of work is being done to try and get a handle on this situation. Right now, we're actually going to chat with, chat with uh, Dr. Matthew Prevost, who's a veterinary medicine professor at the University of Calgary. Uh, doctor, thank you for your time. Appreciate you joining us today. Good morning, Shay. How are you? Good. Thanks very much. Um, now, you're, you're, you're working as part of this research project, and we'll get to your research in a second, but really, there's no time to lose when it comes to preparing for these things, right? In fact, we've probably lost too much time already. We have to act now. Yeah, you said it. Um, these these uh, wild pigs are reproducing extremely fast, and they're also very adaptable. Uh, so they really can make a home of out of anything, agricultural land, um, close to urban areas. They're very adaptable, and and um, and so they keep spreading and, and multiplying very fast. How fast? Like, you know, do we know how many are in the province and how quickly they are reproducing? Yeah, they're, they're really um, uh, spreading exponentially and, and reproducing exponentially. Um, in Alberta, uh, we're at about a third of rural municipalities that are now um, occupied by um, wild pigs. And in, in Saskatchewan, uh, yeah, that's a third. And in Saskatchewan, it's about 80% of the rural municipalities. So they're coming in from the east. They're coming in from Saskatchewan then. Uh, yeah, there's been uh, there's been some release uh, directly in, in Alberta. It's their, their presence is uh, quite uh, well linked to where they're coming out from. So um, wild boar farms and um, places where there's been uh, historically some some wild boar farming, mm-hmm. uh, and once they escape, they they start reproducing. Okay. Um so many questions. Let's start with your research project. You're um, you're trying basically to try and get an assessment of where the situation is right now. Would that be a fair way to characterize it? Yeah, that, that's right. Um, and so that's going to be a four-year project that's funded by RDAR, Result Driven Agriculture Research. Um, we're a fairly large group, um, uh, and, and with really good collaboration, we have Alberta Pork um, on the project, um, Alberta Agriculture and Forestry, um, CFIA, University of Saskatchewan, uh, and uh, and many others. And and so we're all working really hard to try to figure out where these pigs going, um, how uh, what's helping them spread, um, where can we expect them in the future. And, and how this overlaps with, um, you know, things like uh, beef production and pig production and, and what risks that that uh, represent for um, livestock producers. Um, my interest is, is primarily, um, you know, like, like we said, in how they're spreading, but also what does that mean for the risk of disease transmission? Uh, because these pigs can carry a, a number of diseases that um, are important for, for humans or for livestock. Uh, and we want to understand how is this going to change the risk for, for disease transmission. Um, can we, I mean, unfortunately, I know that these creatures are, are well established as an invasive species uh, in the United States and in parts of Europe. So can we learn from the experience that they've gone through to have some indication of what it might mean for us? Do we? I mean, I'm not saying your research isn't important. Obviously, it is to get what's happening locally. But what do we know already about these animals? Yeah, absolutely, and, and actually, um, part of our collaborators are, are from from the U.S. Um, and and so we have folks from from USDA, so the uh, Department of Agriculture, um, uh, you know, helping and, and sort of sharing their experience and, and their expertise um, with us, and and you know, taking those lessons from from what they're experiencing down there. What is what 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 are the biggest risks? I mean, like we're in, and people are saying, "Come on!" In the River Valley in Edmonton, now you're spreading conspiracy theories. I'm not right. I mean, that's one of the concerns. 
Yeah, like I said, they, these uh, wild pigs are, are very adaptable. So they, as long as they're good food sources, um, they'll be able to establish and and, uh, and and reproduce. And so there's really no limitation to them establishing in, in more um, urban areas. Um, for now, they seem to prefer agricultural areas where there is abundance of, of food sources. Um, you know, that's your crop, your grain beans and, and others. Um, but there's really no limitations to, to them establishing in, in more uh, rural, rural um, urban um, sectors. Um, and, and in fact, um, in Europe, where um, wild boar densities are increasing, uh, we increasingly see them in, in close to, to urban centers. Um, obviously, they survive winter in, in this part of the world. They do, and they, they, they actually do fairly well. Um, and uh, there's good evidence that they're able to even reproduce all year long. Um, and, uh, yeah, they're, they're pretty well adapted to cold. That is amazing. What about, uh, I'm just taking a look at the government website that says landowners are required to control or destroy pests and prevent them bec- from becoming established on their land. So is it open season on these animals in Alberta? Not quite. Um, and in fact, the hunting is, is actually more of a problem than anything else in, in this scenario. Um, there's, there's good evidence that um, hunting actually um, increases how much they spread, uh, and in some cases, even how fast they reproduce. Uh, and so, uh, you know, hunting hasn't been really a very effective tool, particularly in this initial stage where, uh, where there is a rapid spread and invasion of, of different places. Um, and so there is a, a really good program, uh, and, and the Alberta government is being quite proactive with this. Um, and, and so the um, wild pig eradication program, trying to uh, monitor where those wild pig go, um, identify those, those social groups or sounders, uh, and, and then uh, setting up um, some trapping device and, and monitoring those, uh, those groups and, and being able to remove them all at once. I just got a ton of people that are listening and sending me texts, Matthew, saying, why don't we just have open season? Why don't we just put a bounty on them and let the hunters take care of this problem? I'm sure that's been tried in other places, right? It's been, and like I said, it is it is quite counterproductive, and so uh, we're really trying to to stay away from from this. Yeah. Um, it, it just uh, it just really makes things worse. And like I, I mentioned earlier, I'm also in, particularly interested in in uh, disease transmission and and what happens to um, the the pathogens that these pigs have. And there's also good evidence that um, when we're using hunting as a control method, um, they they just interact between groups much faster. And, and spread uh, infection also that faster. So a, a lot of negative outcome of, of just hunting. So we need to be a little smarter about it. Interesting. Is there anywhere in the world we can look to where they've actually got a handle on it? I mean, is there a method that you think might work to containing this or controlling it? So there, there are some, um, some good, um, good experiences from uh, the type of trapping that, that's happening in the province. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, we're learning, again, a lot from, from the experience in the, in the U.S. and what the different methods they've, they've tried. Um, the the uh, critical thing is is uh, to act early and and be uh, ready because uh, you know uh, when you get to really high densities it, it it becomes very difficult to to control the problem. Matthew, I appreciate it. Uh, one more before I let you go, and I appreciate. It. I know I've taken you off into areas that you probably weren't ready to talk about, and you've done a great job. Uh, <laughs> h- how big do these things get? 
Oh, they're, they're quite big. And uh, so the average uh, weight for females is around 75 kilograms. Okay. Uh, but, uh, you know, males do get uh, uh, bigger. And, and um, their social groups are about 10, 15 individuals. Um, and uh, and each leader is on average about six piglets and and above. So in, you know you get a sense of how how fast they can reproduce. Yeah, crazy! Wow, Matthew, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us. Thank you. You bet. That is uh, Matthew Pervot, who is a veterinary medicine professor at University of Calgary, part of this research project into the reach of invasive wild pigs in Alberta. Now, this is a. I mean, this isn't a new situation in the province of Alberta. The government's had a program in place for for some time, as a matter of fact. Um, If you go to the website, um, they just sort of go through it, what the risks are here and the impact of these wild pigs. Uh, They damage your property, agricultural crops, pastures, the environment. They endanger people and animals, harass livestock and consume their food and prey on young livestock and wildlife. They spread disease, alter the ecosystem, compete with wildlife, consume the eggs of ground-nesting birds. Um, They really have a big impact and a negative impact on... um, the ecosystem, and they they spread like crazy. That's the thing. They're called the most successful invasive mammal in the world. Like nothing else is as effective as moving into an area where they don't belong, establishing themselves, and and then spreading, multiplying, and, and you know, ending up taking over the ecosystem. Nothing is more effective than wild pigs. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.